Hello, everyone. Um, thanks for joining this session. Um, we are going to talk about the challenges and rewards of building zero to one platform products. I'm uh, Madhumita Mantri, product lead at Startry, uh, which is an early stage startup in B2B building data products in Bay Area. Uh, I'm very passionate about uh, this field in general, like I'm trying to learn a lot about challenges and rewards of building zero to one products. And platform is uh, something very um, special to me and core to me as part of our company, we are also building platform products. And I came across uh, Nitin's, uh, this LinkedIn learning course, which was very um, valuable to me. And I was excited about the course. I, I thought uh, I'll get in touch with Nitin and discuss about this uh, learning and also his journey and experience about uh, challenges and rewards of building zero to one. Um, platform product. So with that, uh, uh, I'll kick off the session, few logistics. Uh, so I have a few questions. I'll quickly run by those uh, with Nitin and then I'll open up the floor for Amy and you can raise your hand and um, I will invite you to the stage and you can directly ask questions to Nitin. Without further ado, welcome Nitin. Thanks again. Uh, you've been a great mentor to me so far and uh, I give a lot of credits to you uh, for my uh, growth in product management in general. Uh, love to uh, hear your introduction and something not on your LinkedIn profile. Sure. Um, thanks so much for hosting and for having me. It's um, a great honor to be part of this. Uh, my name is Nitin. I'm a product lead uh, in LinkedIn, LinkedIn Marketing Solutions, responsible for our advertiser and developer experience. Um, really, really excited to have the conversation and something not on my LinkedIn profile. Um, I used to run a bulletin board system in the early 1990s where people would call my house and connect and we would, you know, talk to each other and build community and play games with each other and whatnot. So that was very fun. Thank you for a nice introduction and the fun fact about yourself. So uh, without further ado, I'll drive into my first question for you. A um, lot of people are, um, are curious about knowing uh, what is a platform product and how does it differ from non-platform product? If you can share some examples, that'll be really helpful. Sure. Um, so I think of traditional product management, uh, whether it's is is typically focused on one user, one use case, um, and a consumer experience. So uh for example, I am, you know, I don't know what to call it, like I'm sending an email or um uh you know, I have an email client or I have an editor, a word editor or something like like where I am just one user and I'm interacting with one single experience. Whereas uh, platforms I think of as underlying capabilities to have uh, multiple products and multiple experiences built on top of it. So for example, um, I have uh, an API that multiple different companies can plug into my API and understand the reporting, the analytics. So it's not just about one single use case, it's about uh, multiple of use cases. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think API evolution is coming out very strong and API driven development. I see that uh, picking up quite fast. Even at our company, we do a lot like thinking about API first, uh, then UI. Earlier, it was very much UI driven and then deciding API. So uh, it's interesting how it is evolving the space and would love to know uh, what are some of the key considerations and unique challenges you are uh, experiencing uh, to build platform products from zero to one especially and how they differ from iterating on existing like non-platform uh, products? Yeah, um, so I think the some of the key challenges with platform products is that they they need to handle, as I was saying earlier, multiple use cases. Another challenge with building zero to one platform products is that it can be quite expensive sometimes to platformize upfront before you know what the use cases are going to be. Um, so I think this is best to understand as an example. Uh, I think, I think the uh, another sorry another challenge with the platform products is that it's going to require uh thinking through a lot of the depth of the different use cases up front so you can't always know or anticipate so with traditional consumer product you might be able to build something test it iterate quicker and quicker but in a platform lens if you're iterating um then you're potentially breaking all the partners who have integrated with your previous version so um, these are some of the challenges. I think the idea of how do I build is, I think a key consideration when building out a platform is do I need a platform or not? Mm -hmm. So I think it's risky to platformize too early before you have incredible use cases that you are going to build on top of it. So I think like one risk of is actually platformizing too quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I, no platform is going to be as built valuable as it could be without killer use cases built on top of that platform mm -hmm. and where you can see those use cases getting used. So um, I, I was going to go with an example. So um, we built a, for example, we recently launched a business manager, which is this this tool this this uh, that is able to allow multiple ad accounts, multiple pages to all be on top of this one container so we can manage permissions and look at reporting um, on top of that. I think we knew that by definition, it was going to have to have multiple, um, it's going to have to have multiple entities that are going to be built into it up front. So we decided to build it in a platformized way um, right in the beginning. Whereas uh, there are other examples where maybe um, when I was at my startup and we were building an ads management system for B2B marketers, um, we did not want to platformize too soon and we decided not to. And I think that was the right choice in that context. That's a great thing you brought up, like premature platformization or like scaling in general will be difficult. So I know that uh, sometimes we know that this uh, solution is going to solve multiple use cases and probably it's the right direction to start thinking about platform. Um, however, like as you said, uh, there are multiple use, use cases can be served. 
in order to prove ourselves, do you recommend uh, first focusing on one or two use cases to do really well before going after other use cases? Or in the validation phase, you recommend that uh, we should validate all the use cases? Um, in general, it depends on the strategy. I don't think there's a one size fits all approach to innovation, invention, or creation. And so um, I think there are scenarios where acting fast and not thinking about platformizing makes the most sense when um, I think uh, Git I think it's, it's called GitLab is one of these companies they, they've published, you know, publicly about their details, how they operate and iterative development is really, really key. Um, I've seen other scenarios where I mentioned before in the business manager example, where we really thought through all the details, the strategy up front, where it's going to go long term, all the different use cases that we could envision that we're going to build on it. And we kind of measured, 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 measured and then cut. Um, but I don't think that that's the only approach. I've seen other approaches. So, so again, I think I don't think it's one size fits all. Mm -hmm. um, if 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 platform is your strategy, like I think uh, OpenAI is classic, and and you know I think Sam Sam Altman has discussed this, where he gave all this advice to Y Combinator companies about iterate, go fast, talk to users, launch quickly, you know, mm -hmm. and then he spent three, four, five years to build out a uh, you know, AI platform before, before even knowing what the use cases would be. And I think he's, uh, I think he's even mentioned publicly, like he's a bit regretful of some of the advice that he gave. So mm -hmm. I think my personal take is there's no one size fits all, but it depends on the company and the context. Interesting. Yeah, you mentioned about uh, measure, measure, measure. Uh, how do you measure the impact of a platform product in the wider ecosystem? And how do you know, like, we're on right track? I think it's very challenging. Um, I think when you have, uh, like, consumer products, growth products, when you have a high volume, um, you're able to measure, you know, A-B test, how many people made it through this funnel or how, how many sessions or, you know, uh, active users did we drive or improve? How much engagement did we improve? Um, with consumer and high volume of interactions, it's it's easier to measure that impact. Yeah. Um, for some platform projects, like let's say you're building a new uh, permissioning system or you're migrating to some new front end or some new back end infra or something, mm -hmm. um, you're not able to do an A-B test. You might have to ramp it in a way that it ramps everyone all at once. Um, you won't be able to do the A-B test. Um, what I have done and and has been useful as a proxy is is trying to understand adoption. So is the platform getting utilized by its consumers? If you monetize, then revenue, you know, how much revenue is coming into the system is a proxy for how much value there is. Um, sometimes platforms will help improve the productivity or efficiency of developers. You can do surveys on you know, developer productivity or how long did it take to develop this, you know, before and after. Mm -hmm. um, you can also run causal studies. So if if you're not able to directly do an experiment or an A-B test, then and you build out some new capability, you see how many people adopted it um, six months, you know, three months, six months later, then you can kind of look back and see 
uh, what was the predicted, say, revenue that we would have expected. And now that they're those uh, users and customers are using this platform, how much revenue they see now. And, you know, you can partner with your data scientists or use tooling to try to run causal studies to see cause and effect relationships between your platform investments and the impact. But I would say um, this is all more challenging with platform products than it, than it is typically with, with typical consumer products. Absolutely. And thanks for sharing those tips how to measure the impact, um, especially in this challenging space. Uh, one quick follow-up to that. Um, so it's uh, if you have a good uh, set of users who are using your platform, then at least you know whom to go out, uh, reach out to, and then ask for validation or look at their behavior and um, I mean, self-evaluate those things. Um, however, if I'm working on a very early stage uh, platform, in that case, I don't have like a bunch of users to go after. Uh, what would be the best way to measure impact? Is it like qualitative survey or any other means you can suggest? Um, if you don't have users, uh, I, I I think what comes to mind to me is, is do you have product market fit? Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't have product market fit and it's a very small volume of users, um, I would talk to the customers. I, I mean, qualitative, sure, you can do surveys, but I remember again when I was at the startup um, and we were starting something brand new, the first 50 customers, the first 100 customers even, um, I mean, I, 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 I knew everyone. I literally knew the people using the system. Mm -hmm. I knew what they were, how they were measuring success of our product. So if you're a sales team or account management team, you know, maybe again, I know the advertising domain, they were looking at our volume of leads or the cost per lead. So even though my product didn't have, you know, the ability to measure, I could see what we were delivering on behalf of those customers. So I, I would suggest anytime you are selling anything to a customer, that customer is evaluating you based on something. What is that? Are they looking for happiness? Are they looking for productivity? Are they looking for, you know, lead generation? Are they looking for new, you know, hiring velocity? Are they looking for developer velocity? The customer is measuring you on something as the product owner. And so if it's if you only have five customers, 10 customers, even 30 or 50, you're actually able to go so deep with those customers that you would be able to deeply understand how are they evaluating you? Mm -hmm. And then that can become what you measure and what you drive against yourself, even if you're not able to do uh, A-B testing or experimentation. Sounds great. That's uh, really helpful. Thanks for uh, sharing your perspective, especially product market fit. I think that's an interesting thing that everyone probably should start thinking. Um, I will open up the floor for questions, but before that, I just wanted to ask one last question. I have a couple of more, but I'll wait for that. I'm really curious about this question. In general, um, how do you balance the need to innovate with the need to keep your product stable and reliable, especially it's quite challenging in platforms or so any piece of advice over there? Um. Again, I think I keep coming back to today, this idea of context. Um, if you um, 
I don't know if you if you're running like banking software, you're doing something in finance or or billing, then the stability, reliability, you know, testing, retest, you know, get that comes front and foremost. Versus, um, if you're working on some, you know, let's say some building on top of open AI, some generative AI thing, you say, hey, I anticipate that this could be you know, these responses might hallucinate or they might not go, you know, as you expect, then then that could be an area where, where maybe you can um, be able to move faster and test and iterate. And as you go, mm-hmm. um, I think in, in general, I think of principles for your product. So if you have principles around trustworthiness, around stability, around reliability, um, and those become your guardrails, then then you want to go as fast as you can within the principles that are appropriate for your context. Mm-hmm. And those principles might depend on your specific context. Those are, that'd be my initial response. Great. Uh, one quick follow-up to that is how much percentage of uh, the resource or investment you would invest in there? For innovation versus stability? Mm-hmm. Um. It depends on the context. Uh, I think a traditional thing I've seen published online is this idea of, of 70% you know, investment in the core, 20% strategic, 10% for venture bets, venture bets being the, you know, unpredictable, you don't know if it's going to go well or not. And, you know, the 20 strategic is like what's going to become core in the future, the 70% core, you know, I would say core would be uptime, stability, reliability. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, but but it depends. The reason I say it depends on the context is like if it's wartime and your company needs to act fast, focus on the core, fewer things done better, doesn't want to be, you know, then, then it might make sense to be 95% on the core versus if it's like we're hitting plateaus, we need to be understanding what the next frontier is. We need to make a big leap. We need to be running a lot of experiments. It's some big technical disruption and we don't know how it's going to go. You might want to shift the other way where you know, you're doing a lot more innovation and speculative because you're trying to discover what that next big horizon is. So um, I think just understand why you're making those investments and try, I, I would say, you know, you're going to have some portfolio and just be deliberate and intentional about why you're deciding that that's a portfolio mix that makes the most sense for you. Awesome. Thanks a lot uh, for sharing those tips. I'm sure this will be useful for anyone who's trying to plan uh, for their platform products since it is like Q4 near, nearing by. I see uh, Tim has raised his hands. Uh, Tim, uh, I've invited you to the stage. You can unmute yourself and ask your question. Are you able to hear us? Oh, oh we lost him. Uh, he he just uh, messaged me on LinkedIn. Maybe he is trying to uh, enable his audio, but I can ask his question. Uh, the question that he sent to me is, what often uh, do you discover entirely new use cases in an emergent way? And does that happen? How do you cope with it? Or do you culture it or discourage it? Okay. Um, uh, as long as there is mutual value, both value to the user and value to you as the platform owner, I highly, highly encourage it. 
Um, I think one of the most magical things about platforms is <clears throat> once you build that horizontal capability, you can't always predict all the use cases that people are going to use it. Now, it's important to have guardrails and understand the use cases to study them to make sure that you know they're you're not exposing data that you shouldn't have and you're not accidentally you know creating competitors people who might be competitive with you when you're not intending to do that um and whatnot but i think one of the magical parts about platforms is trying to find undiscovered you know use cases that you did not initially think about and again i i, I come back to that business manager so you know we we have discovered new reporting use cases new internal use cases new billing use cases that we had not originally conceived of when we made the investment and built the strategy and to me one of the powers of strong platforms is kind of the leverage of creating new and new net new value with that same underlying infrastructure so um i think uh, in general, I would encourage it. Just make sure that it's within the bounds and, and expectations of the organization. Thanks. Uh, I think that's great. I mean, especially um, the recommendation to go after it instead of uh, not taking risk. I think that's very useful. Um, I have opened up the floor for asking any questions. So anyone in the audience, you will, you have questions, you can raise your hand. And I can invite you to your stage, okay? I see Srinivas, I have invited you to the stage. You can unmute yourself and ask questions. Yeah, so uh, one question is, let's say there is a existing product which is with a huge amount of audience. And then what exactly it takes to roll out the new feature? And then how much percentage of investment? That we need to make everybody to avail that product, uh, avail that feature, because when we are building a feature, it is going to be competitive um, to the new trend. So, what's your question? Could you help me understand a little better? Um, so, let's say uh, there is a product, and we we are rolling out a new feature of the product to the customer, huge audience, and then. Um, because it will be a competitive, uh, you know, very competitive feature uh, to the market. Um, how much percentage of investment that we need to invest in to make sure all the uh, users are going to utilize that feature? Um, yeah. So I, I, what I'm hearing is, is like you're building a new feature. You think it's gonna be great, but you also need to drive adoption. So how much should you be investing to be driving adoption of those existing features? Yeah, yeah. Is that the, okay. yes. um, so the way I think about um, creating value in general in the product management realm is like you're creating new features. That's what you and I, you know, what you just talked about, or you're, you're kind of maximizing the value out of the features that you've already built. Um, I actually think that's a little bit about how I might, think of a growth team versus a feature team. Um, and, and then I think the next question is how, how much to invest in that growth team, which is trying to maximize the growth of your existing features or you know getting new users in, making them successful. Um, I think it depends on what the, like ideally 
users would be able to come in and just through the normal flows, learn how to use them and get value and start adopting it. But if they need a, um, if they need extra sort of support along the way, um, I, I, what comes to mind to me is, is how much benefit do the users get from using that feature? So if we know, for example, adopting this feature will drive incremental revenue impact of this much, and we know that ABC sets of, of investments would help drive adoption from X to Y, you know, you could almost like do a calculation of being like, wow, if we could drive that much adoption we'd be, I'm just making up the number, we're going to be driving $50 million more of incremental revenue. Um, I should be willing to invest a, a big, you know, a large amount in order to drive that amount of adoption. Now, on the other hand, if it's like that driving that adoption, we don't know how much it helps the users and we don't know how much value that will create. And there's a lot of hurdles and challenges and it's a big investment. I mean, I would I, I would question why we built that feature in the first place if, if you know, but also um, would 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 have uh, when I think about designing the product orgs and product teams, like what are those key customer value or member value metrics that are most important to you? They want to like get through a flow very quickly or with minimal drop off or they want to drive this number of results or they want to, you know, reduce those number of support tickets and then put the product teams assigned to that customer value metric. And sometimes adoption can be a okay proxy for their getting value. But I, you know, I, I don't love adoption. I usually like something closer to something that the customer would actually value versus just the adoption. Now, now driving the adoption would be in service of driving that bigger thing that the customer actually values and then trying to quantify, you know, how, how much investment you want to do to drive that customer value metric. Hope, hopefully that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, um, when, when we look at the LinkedIn, um, say I'm, I'm active user, right? So let's say LinkedIn, um, came out with a feature, right? Which is having huge customer base and that, um, which is very useful for each and every customer in terms of marketing, um, in terms of doing all this stuff. But um, the training of that particular feature is more more needed, right? And then um, in those areas, the quantification, if uh, we'd like to drill through what it could be. Um, yeah, so I'm not I'm not going to talk anything specific about LinkedIn, but in in general, I would assign teams to drive customer value or member value, and then try to understand the relationship between driving the customer value and then the business round, you know value. So so that that can inform, and then when building out these teams, um, decide which what dimension of customer value I want to be driving, what targets I want to be, you know, driving and, and who is credible and trustworthy and, you know, being able to drive that type of impact. Thanks, Nitin. Uh, Srinivas, we have one more uh, hand raised. So... Yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm done. Thank you so much, Varsham. Thank you. Yeah. So, Saurabh, I'm going to unmute yourself. Uh, 
sorry, I'm inviting you to the stage. Go ahead and meet yourself and ask your question. Hey, Madhumita. Hey, Nitin. How are you guys doing today? Uh, great. Thank you. Thanks for coming up great. and listening. Yep. Yeah, it's all. I was very, I got the this thing uh, update from Madhumita, you know, connection. Since she's a first connection of mine, I saw that audio event. I was like, okay, she's bringing somebody from LinkedIn who's like prime working on the product management side. So this was a very interesting audio event. Yeah. Um, thank you for hosting this, Madhumita. Um, yeah. So my question was um, related to the Llama 2 release, which Meta AI came out with. And I actually wanted to ask you how useful is Llama 2 in building like platform products powered by Gen AI and ML. So what are your thoughts on that, Nitin? Yeah, this is not this um like uh not my wheelhouse personally. Um so I, I'm not um it's like I'm not working on it uh right now, but in general I think that having multiple models makes sense in general. Um, I can see the benefits of open source in general. I think the cost to run these large language models is quite high and um, and you know there's going to be innovations from all over you know sorts of vendors that are going to be driving my cost down and there's going to be a demand on GPUs over the next X number of years to um, so I think it's going to be a mix of software you know bringing the cost down and hardware trying to increase the capabilities of these vendors but like in terms of like specifically commenting on like llama 2 versus other models it's just like outside of my wheelhouse. thank you nathan thanks for the you know clarity appreciate it of course thank you yeah i sort of hope that answers your question um so if you're done you can unmute uh, sorry mute yourself i hear a little background sound Thank you. Uh, anyone else have questions? You can raise raise your hand. Otherwise, I have few questions. I can go over that. Seems like no other hands. Oh, there's one. Okay. Go ahead, Sreya. Uh, unmute yourself and ask your question. Are you able to unmute yourself? Okay, it seems like there is audio challenges. Um, anyone else? Oh, I see her again. Sreya, can you unmute yourself and ask your question if you are not able to? Okay, go ahead. Uh, are you able to hear me? Yes. Oh, okay, thank you. Uh, my name is Shreya. I'm a... Uh, uh... CNP, I mean, Amazon. Thanks, Madhumita and uh, Nathan. This is very uh, uh, informational. So I have a quick question to Nathan. Uh, so when uh, we're building uh, API, uh, would you consider that under a SaaS model or a platform as a service or a software as a service model? And how would you differentiate that if you have one use case that you want to offer to multiple teams? And you know, like uh, obviously, varying the end, uh, given the varying endpoints. Okay, 
So what I'm hearing is you have an API product and you're trying to determine how to price it. Like, should you do SaaS or maybe you could do like some usage-based sort of like, and and right now you have one use case that's going to multiple teams. You're trying to determine like what the pricing should be. Is that a summary of the question? Uh, it, it's uh, the, the the team is right. It's not question uh, for pricing in particular, but uh, if you want to value differentiation is what I'm asking about. Yeah. How would you like place it, like the position it? How to position the value if there's only one use case? Yes. And would you uh, position it as a SaaS a software as a service model or uh, the platform as a service model? Okay. I'm not sure exactly what you mean by platform as a service. Can you share more on that? Uh, so something that you would offer for a development to build on versus uh, the software as a service or the way you build the API and you provide it to different, let's say that it's an internet product, provide it to different teams for them uh, to use it. Okay. I might need to go a little bit deeper on yours that, but let, let me, I'll just share sort of initial reactions, but it, sure. sorry if this goes a little bit off. Um, so um, in, in general, in terms of pricing, I think it is, uh, it is something that the way that I would think about it is what is the value that I am adding to the consumers of what I am building? So this could be a platform, it could be anything else. So are we able to quantify that incremental value? So if I'm driving some speed, if I'm driving some efficiency, if I'm driving some cost savings, if I'm driving something that's, you know, entertainment that they're willing to value at some amount, um, what is that value? And like in general for pricing, I would think about how do I capture uh, an appropriate percentage of that value that I am adding? Um, I think, uh, so to capture final business. In general, I think I've seen um, SaaS-based models. Like let's say you're selling um, customer service software and it is, uh, you think, oh, I'm going to do SaaS-based and it's going to be based on the number of seats. So, oh, we have this many seats and, and then charge based on those number of seats. There can be challenges on that because what if the software is driving so much, you know, it starts to use leveraging AI, it's you know, driving a tremendous amount of efficiency and productivity that maybe the number of seats needed in this organization could be less. So I think that's the risk of, of how, you know, thinking about this SaaS or seat-based types of pricing models. I think um, usage-based is another one that I've seen comes to mind and seems to make sense. I think it's always really hard to know how much value you are actually adding. You can run surveys, willingness to pay studies and whatnot. And in terms of like building an API versus a platform as a service, if it's one use case or it's multiple use cases, I mean, these, this goes a little bit and I think I'd have to just understand it more than I understand it today. But what I've seen some organizations do is, is make sure you have your, awesome A++ use case, really well-defined. You have your case studies, you have your, you know, go to market and you can create offerings there and then uh, try to figure out, hey, what's the next 
adjacent vertical where I can add a lot of value or it's the next adjacent one, it's the next adjacent one. So, so you can kind of build up the offerings and the suite of offerings from there. Um, and, and those are kind of like some initial set of thoughts. Sorry if I, I totally missed the question you're asking, but hopefully there's something valuable there. No, you, you've answered majority of them. Uh, so I was going towards the usage-based model that uh, model that you alluded to. So I think you've got answered most of them, but uh, thanks so much. Uh, I don't think yeah. uh, this, this uh, short time is enough to answer my question anyways, but this was really helpful. Thank you. For anyone here, anyone listening, I mean, feel free to send me LinkedIn messages too, and I, I can be try to happy to help um, as, asynchronously as well. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Sriya, hopefully you got your answer. Uh, Nitin, quick question to you. How much time you have? Uh, should we wrap up or you can take one more question? I think we had 10 more minutes, I believe. Yeah, roughly. nine, nine yeah. minutes, roughly. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to keep going. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, I see Majaz has a raised hand. So Majaz, go ahead, unmute yourself and ask your question. You have to invite him up. Uh, I have invited. Okay. Hello. Yeah, go ahead. Hello. Hi, Mudamita. Hi, Nitin. Uh, uh, thank you so much for uh, having this event. I uh, really like this topic, the challenge and rewards of building zero to one platform products. My question is, as you know that uh, one of the biggest challenge in product development while building the product from zero to one is dealing with uncertainty and ambiguity. As you know that we may not have enough information or, or data about the customer needs. So my question and uh, my concern is what we can do in that particular situation if we don't have enough data or uh, customer needs all those stuffs. What we can do in that situation? Yeah, um, I hear you. Uh, I think if I am building a product for a segment, um, one thing that I have in mind for myself is like I want to become an expert in that customer or that customer segment. And I have found personally, like talking to roughly 30, 30 ish customers and, and you can start to learn pretty quickly. So this idea of like, Hey, I don't have enough data about the customer and the customer need. Like I think of it as deep customer understanding and deep technical understanding. So I wouldn't talk to the customers being like, what should I build? I would talk to customers sit with them, observe them, go to their environment, see how they do work, have them demo, have them give their lay the land, their products, how are they measure success? How are their managers looking? What are their OKRs? Um, go, I, I almost think of like product management, like trying to understand the customer almost better than they, you know, they know themselves, especially when you bring the mix of those multiple customer perspectives. And then you combine that with technical understanding. I'll even read books. Like I'm, I'm, I, you know, work with marketers right now. And I, I, when I first started working in B2B marketing, I probably read 
five, 10 books about marketing and being, you know, the book, like what, what are the, all the trade pods, all the newsletters, all the thought leadership pieces. And even though I've been working in the industry 10 years, like even right now, most recently, I'm like two to three books in on like 30 year old marketing books, like, like, like to really, really understand what, um, and then, and then through that deep customer understanding, that deep technical understanding, I think I can probably be in the best position to invent on behalf of those customers. So I think this idea of like, like, I, I totally get there's uncertainty, there's ambiguity, there's not, there's often not enough data, sometimes quantitative data, if you have your tracking, your measurement, but qualitative, like through a mix of surveys, through a mix of talking to customers, user research, um, immersing yourself in customer experience, reading everything you can. Um, I, I would want to know that for anyone I'm building with, and, and obviously there'll still be uncertain, uncertainty and ambiguity, but then it's like, what is the biggest risk area? What's the biggest challenge? What's the biggest, you know, run a pre-mortem and see what's the biggest unknown. And then what's the cheapest, lowest cost way to de-risk that part of the experience or that part of the build or that part of the project. And then, um, and then, you know, sometimes these things don't work out. It's really, really hard. And so knowing that you did the best you can and then you learned if it didn't work out. And I think one of the hard parts about platform products in general is sometimes they take so long to build, but then even takes that much longer to measure. Um, Just today, I think, for something we built four years ago, I was like doing a retro on the value. What value did we promise? And then how do we, um, how much value did we actually deliver versus what we promised um, and to hold ourselves accountable and to be as objective, intellectually honest as possible. Like sometimes these, these projects are so big, but oh, it took so much harder to do the go-to-market, to drive the adoption, to do this, do that. We promised this in the platform, but this is what might've actually been delivered. And to take that hard, hard look of like, yeah, feedback loop is slower, but you still want to learn and be willing to say like, yeah, that investment did not make sense. I own that. And this is the learning so that next time we can be smarter as an organization about what we're building. Yeah, thank you so much, Nitin. Thank you so much. I appreciate this. Of course. Majaj, hope uh, that answered your question. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, we can take one more uh, question. Anyone else in the audience wanted to chime in? Okay, I don't see any raised hands yet. Feel free to raise your hand and I'll invite you to the stage. So while, uh, okay, there's one more person, Ibrahim. Okay, I invited you to the stage. Uh, you can unmute yourself and ask your question. Uh, hi, Inti. <clears throat> So my question is more about uh, when you are in the earliest stage of building your platform product. And of course, uh, probably you have still uh, lots of use case and feature that is not covered out of the box from your platform. And when you go out and talk to your user, you're kind of not convinced to start adapting your platform. So uh, the option that you end up having is like, 
could I double down and bring my platform to a maturity level that they can start using it or they be they will be more willing to adopt it? Or I should start with some minimum group of users that I can start using even that unmature platform and start maturing it from there. Like what are some of the tactics or techniques basically to bring on board those users who are not convinced still that your platform is serving them? Yeah, that's a hard question. Great question. Um, I, I, you know, most of my experience in the last 10 years has been now at bigger tech companies, but I think the way it, when I, you know, I used to work at startups and work at smaller businesses and, you know, the ones I even talked to today, the way I think, I think about is like, when you're smaller, you're, you're kind of in a journey of trying to understand your, you're trying to build out your differentiation. So you, what is it that you, whoa, that's actually Peter Thiel's famous question from zero to one. It's like, what do you, you know, what do you believe that few other people believe? Or what do you know? What is your insight? I've written about this in my product strategy approach article. What is your unique insight, your unique approach, your unique differentiation? What do you do better than anyone else? And how do you invest very, very deeply into your differentiation where it becomes so compelling that people like want to adopt it and they, you know, they get, so um, that is what I would think about. And, and the, and then the way I would think about, do I wait and just build feature two, three, four, and then launch, or do I try to launch with feature one, which is, you know, but I'm only going to get early adopters. Um, there is risk with launching too early. So I think the risk, that comes to mind is kind of overfitting, you know, your solution to that early set of customers versus building something that like a large market would benefit from. At the same time, I think the con of not launching sooner is learning. I think research and learning is is so much about product management and the benefit of launching sooner rather than later is the benefit of learning in real world environments, which is the best way to learn. So um, I'm not saying it's, again, it's not one size fits all, but I have a bias towards launching. If you can get five, 10 users who will work with you and get excited and give you feedback. And then if you really, really try to be selective and focus on your unique differentiation and build that up, then hopefully that becomes so compelling that larger and larger swaths of customers are interested. Okay. Abraham, hope that answers your question. Thank you, we are at time. Uh, so, Nathan, any final thoughts in, in terms of concluding? We talked a lot about challenges, but if somebody is aspiring to build zero to one platform products, what will be your advice in terms of rewards? And we can close um, with that. Yeah, no, I mean, this was a great conversation, incredible questions. And I think, um, I guess, closing words, close, I think the things that come to mind is, uh, you know, a platform is only as good as its most killer use case. Before chat GPT exploded in November 22, um, I think that technology was available in their dev portal for like two years, like yeah. literally two years, yeah. which is kind of unbelievable that, and that to me is like, they built out the platform, mm -hmm. but they hadn't shown the, the killer, the, the killer A++ use case that was built on top of it. So I'm thinking if you're building that platform, just 
immersing yourself in those incredible, incredible, awesome use cases that are getting built on top and almost like making sure that those use cases are working. I think um, trying to build it in a way, don't go too early, but once you realize, hey, multiple users, multiple use cases can be built on top of this same underlying capability, then the power of like encouraging that, using that, finding net new innovation that you might not have discovered. And I think the other thing that comes to mind is like pricing it appropriately. So how how to really understand the value you're driving and making sure that's solid, differentiated value and then get capturing the appropriate amount of that, you know, for your business. Awesome. Thanks a lot for sharing all these valuable tips. Uh, definitely helped us to understand the challenges, but it's also very rewarding and great learning. So thanks again. And if anyone would like to reach out to you, um, will they reach out to you on LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn is definitely the best. Thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, speaking at this session. It was really valuable, um, I'm sure, to me and the folks who are listening. And uh, thanks, uh, audience, also making it very interactive and staying through the session. So with that, we conclude. And uh, you all free, feel free to drop off. Thank you so much for hosting. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks to everyone for listening and all your time.